Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. We decided to match today. <laughs> we didn't know. It's a we didn't know it was gonna happen, but and here we are. Oh yeah, we're just a whole everything. Um, gray. Today's lesson's about how there's not so much black and white, it's just gray. <laughs> so get ready for that. Listen, everybody, I just got done painting the whole board and I forgot to put our paper up in the middle of it. And last week's. We just had so much fun stuff to say. I know. So anyways, just pretend that's in the middle of the board because remember our my things I love so much. And then for those of you who are looking at all the answers, looking for all the answers in the newsletter, we now put a picture of the board. You can find the newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com. Yeah, you can sign up for it there. All right, a lot happened in between section two and section three of the Doctrine and Covenants. And actually, section three, so we're sections three through five, but we'll start with kind of the background of three. Three is actually the very first revelation that Joseph receives from the Lord that he records. Because he doesn't record section two until years later, and section one, remember, comes later also. So this one, kind of chronologically, is kind of the first one that he writes down in the story and man a lot happened in between Moroni visiting him which we read about last week and section three so he goes to the hill the morning after Moroni gets there you remember and uh I actually love this story when he goes to the hill because remember the second time Moroni visits he tells him he gives him a warning he says you're going to be tempted to use that gold to help out your family's like destitute situation financially um, in the three-mile walk from Joseph's house to the hill, he had decided he was going to use some of the gold to help out <laughs> his family. So that he dropped off pretty quickly and then gets a shock when he tries to reach for the plates. You may have read that story in his history before. And, and Moroni comes and he says, I told you, you have got to learn to distinguish between the impressions of God and the adversary. And so he says, come back in a year. Right? And so Joseph does this for several years. He keeps coming back to the hill. He and never you knows. Love, say yeah. this promise that's in Joseph Smith History 159, because it's going to play such an important role in this whole story. It just says this if you let them go carelessly or through neglect, you will be cut off. But if you use all your endeavors to preserve them, they would be protected. Like he was given that promise. At the very beginning, exactly what you're saying. Yeah, well, which is interesting because it's a promise. Like Moroni almost could have said, like, I had to lean on that promise also for 20 years, right? I carried those plates around for a long time with people trying to get them from yeah. me. And so you should know. It's a perfect mentor for Joseph, Moroni was. I read, um, oh, who wrote the book? Uh, a book where somebody kind of compared Moroni to a bishop to Joseph for oh, those four so years cute. during his teen years. Somebody who kind of mentored mm -hmm. him through. Because he learns so many, he learns faith and he learns to trust. He learns repentance. He learns um, just all of these lessons from Moroni. Well, um, he keeps going back to the hill. I think it's important to note that Joseph doesn't ever know when he's going to get the plates. That adds uh, an element to like humanity's story. 
where he doesn't say, come back in four years and I'll give them to you. But he's always wondering, when am I going to get them? He's always having to like... Take the next right step. Right. And that's it. Right. Just a step at a time. And he'll come home and the family's all there and they're wondering, did he, did, did you get them? You know? And he's just like, no. You know, he comes back and that must have been disappointing. And and um, anyways, the family's so involved in it. Let's throw Alvin's story in here. Alvin was Joseph's older brother and one of his like heroes. And he was one of the greatest supporters of the Book of Mormon. And uh, he will die um, in that year after his first visit to the hill and um, of a medical malpractice. And uh, one of the last things he says to Joseph is, be a good boy and mm. get the record. And so anytime the family will talk about the plates from this point forward and the Book of Mormon, they always tie it to Joseph and it's always really tender in their, in their feelings. Um, another thing that happens in those four visits to the hill is he will meet Emma. Um, he actually goes out and we'll get to um, kind of talk about that story in a later section, but he will meet her um, out in Harmony, Pennsylvania. He goes for work and, and ends up meeting Emma down there and they'll elope and, uh, and get married. Um, they get married and then together they go to the hill and they get the records. And he has to hide them in a log. You know all those stories and how fun that is. Well, finally they bring him home and there's so many people trying to get them from him. And he's having to, you, these are all the stories that they hide him in his sister's sheets while they sleep and in the Cooper shop. And, and, they, and they have to like just put them all of these different places to hide them and everyone's trying to get them. And they realize we cannot stay in Palmyra and do the translation work. So... Um, Joseph actually employs the friend, uh, um, the help of his friend, Martin Harris. He actually learns from the Lord, it's Martin who's supposed to help out with the work. And Martin will pay off all their debts, Joseph and Emma's, and pays for them to go down to um, Harmony, Pennsylvania, right near where Joseph and Emma's, I mean, not Joseph Emma's. and Emma's, Emma's mom yep. and dad live. And that house is where most of the translation of the Book of Mormon will take take place. First scribe is actually Emma, and then Martin comes down and helps out with the translation. So um, they translate April, May, June for three months together, and they finish 116 pages of the record of translation, which is known as the Book of Lehi. And they translate that. Now, Martin asks Joseph, can I have those pages to take back? I've been living you with you for a couple months, <laughs> I've been financing this work. I paid off everything. My wife is kind of going crazy and my neighbors are starting to talk dirty about me because they think I've been duped. Um, Martin's never seen the plates at this point in time. Um, and so everyone's starting to think, oh man, there is a lot of trouble. So remember Joseph asked the Lord, the Lord says, no. Martin says, but please, maybe, maybe just ask again. Goes and asks again. You have to remember Martin is twice Joseph's age. Yes. He's 22. Martin's 44. He's the only friend <laughs> that they have. He's a, the businessman. He's got the money. He's right. financing it. He's done them so many different favors. And so you just have to imagine to yourself that Joseph's like, when Martin pleads with him, like, ask again, Joseph's like, okay, but yeah, what I if he bails? Owe him. Yeah. yeah. And what if he bails on us? What are we going to do? What yeah. if I don't like help him out? No, is the answer the second time. Martin presses the Lord. So Joseph presses the Lord and finally the Lord says, okay, he can take him with this covenant and promise. He shows him to five people. So Martin leaves with the pages. Um, it is only a couple of days later that Emma will 
give birth to their first son. And he will die the day that he is born. And Emma goes into such a physical and emotional and mental pit um, because of, of that. That Joseph um, says, I don't sleep a solid hour for two straight weeks, trying to just nurse her back from the grave, essentially. Like it just, it was it plummeted her. And, uh, and after those two weeks, finally, she's the one who brings it up and says, Martin has never come back with those papers. You need to leave and you need to go and find out where they are. And he feels like she's well enough and he takes the, the long trip. It would have taken two to three days to get back to Palmyra. Gets to his mom and dad's house. They call for Martin in the morning. He doesn't come. Another hour passes, he doesn't come. And finally he walks in the house, head drooped down and and they know what's happened. And and he, he cries out, throws down his fork and knife. Hiram asks him, are you sick, Hiram? I mean, Martin, are you sick? And he throws him down. He's like, I've lost my soul. And Joseph says, Martin, did you lose those pages? And they're like, he says, all is lost. I've lost. I've, I've incurred the wrath of God on me. This is over. I've ruined it. And, 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 oh, he is just devastated. And he says, go back home. And he says, I tore up the pillows. I tore up the mattresses. It's not there. I promise it's nowhere. And Joseph will leave um, and actually makes that this comment to his mom where he says, how can I return home to Emma with a tale such as this? And how shall I appear before the Lord? And he goes home and um, the day after he gets home, he goes out on a walk. Yeah, we love this part of the story. In fact, every time I get into Doctrine and Covenants 3, before I even start reading, these are the thoughts that go through my mind. That it was after the 116 pages had been lost, after his first son had died, after he had cared for Emma during her recovery from the trauma of childbirth and of loss, after the Urim and Thummim had been taken in consequence of his constant wearying of the Lord, that Joseph went for a walk. There, a heavenly messenger met him and finally gave Joseph the, Joseph the opportunity to inquire of the Lord again through the Urim and Thummim. Have you ever wondered how that conversation might have gone? <laughs> and I'm just so interested in like, what does that conversation look like exactly? What happens in that moment? Yeah, and, and as you read section three, so all of that is kind of the, the situation and the need behind section three. Is Moroni returns um, with the Urim and Thummim and says, here, read this revelation from the Lord. And it's the Lord's message to Joseph after all of this. I, sometimes I think to myself, I don't even know if Joseph prayed <laughs> that <laughs> night. You know, like when he asks this question, how shall I appear before the Lord? Like, I, I just think, oh, think of what he's going through his mind where he's just like, I just ruined everything. I broke my the promises. I shouldn't have... Preston, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? And, and do you think it's interesting? Because let's just look at Joseph's pattern. When he went into the sacred grove, it was to figure out his standing before the Lord. When Moroni comes, same thing. He's looking at his list of failures and inadequacies and weakness. And that's when he gets that. And it's that same question. How shall I appear before the Lord? And now... Again, section three. Right. How shall I appear before the Lord? And then you love that. What is God going to do every time he comes in and he's like, Joseph, let me come into the story. 
Let me meet you where you are, as you are, and then let me lead you to the next right step. Yeah. What an interesting pattern, really, for all of us. And a good reminder, I think, that God is working with people who are not perfect. Every time Joseph has shown up before, it's him going to the Lord in his weakness and fault and yeah, day one is like right? I'm gonna melt down the plates. <laughs> I'm gonna pay for it. You're like that's day one. <laughs> You're like, oh my goodness! You just right? love that. It gives me so much courage in my own capacity for growth when I think, well, if God could work with Joseph and do all of the things He did through Joseph, then maybe He can work with me. I just think there's so many times when, as you get ready to read section three, it's so important to put yourself in Joseph's shoes and, and or to put yourself in, in a place that you've been before where, I mean, all of us have had those nights where we're just like, I can't believe I said that today. And I can't believe I did that. And why did I give in to that temptation? And I know better. Why did I do this? And I... You know, that's where his heart is when he goes into section three, a place that all of us are so familiar with of like, I've let down God. Yeah, like all I let is him lost. All I is love, lost. I just love that moment of, well, I, there's, there's nothing good I have left to give. Right. So expecting a, a, a rebuke, no doubt. Um, it opens up the section and says, the works and designs and purposes of God cannot be frustrated, neither can they come to naught. Number one, all is not lost, Joseph. That's the very first message that he receives. Like, this cannot be ruined. You are not big enough <laughs> to ruin the works and the designs of, of God. Um, and it talks a little bit about him and, and says again in verse three, remember, and this is a fill in the blank in the journal, it is not the work of God that is frustrated, but the work of of men like you this cannot be ruined um and then he goes on and he just says um um kind of teaches joseph where he went wrong a little bit in verse four and says here's some of the temptations of people verse five you were entrusted with these things and you need to remember how strict the commandments were that you don't transgress them like those commandments were given to protect you they were given to avoid situations like this. And that, and he's talking about like that verse that we read in Joseph Smith History 159, that if you'll just preserve the plates, then I'll protect him. He, he promised him that would happen. Yeah. And then he reminds him and tells him, you often transgress the commandments and the laws of God. And that's what brought this about. Like, I don't think he's pointing out his faults, but rather he's saying like, this is actually the problem. In verse 7, we have right here in the journal, this is where he kind of like concisely says it. You should not have feared man more than God. Um, you should have been faithful, verse 8. And I would have supported you, and I would have been with you in every time of trouble. I know the reason you gave in is because you were, is because you were trying to like figure this out on your own, but you didn't need to do that. You needed to trust me and I would have brought you through this. Even if you lost Martin and his friendship and the finances, I would have brought you through that in entire time. And I love looking at this 
you know, and just, we've talked about this before, just these times when you can just reflect for a second. Um, we have like on up on here, just these scales and it's in the journal. Just for you to think for a second, a self-assessment, like on a scale of one to 10, how much do I have value the opinion of other people versus on a scale of one to 10, how much do I value the opinion of God and what he thinks I ought to do? And how much do I trust him versus trusting myself or trusting other people or looking good toward other people? I mean, this seems to be humanity's <laughs> yes. hardest and, issue. And that little thing right there becomes almost the most important concept in this entire lesson, three through five. We're going to keep coming back to that because really um, Joseph asked how shall I appear before and the Lord is what he was asking but it's so interesting because in that moment of prayer that you talked about earlier it was almost as if he was saying to the Lord but how shall I appear before Martin right and then Martin was saying but how shall I appear before my wife Lucy and everybody wants to have that the opinion of others and, and what if the opinion of God is what was your anchor? If I do this, how shall I appear before the Lord? What if Martin would have asked that? If Joseph and Martin sat down with those 116 pages and Martin, instead of saying, but what about Lucy? But what about my neighbors? But what about the bank? But what about, what if they both were like, okay, how shall we appear before the Lord if we do this? Look how easy that decision just got. And it, and it really is, It's a, you. we're watching Joseph learn that. You know, and, mm -hmm. and at, throughout his ministry, he'll keep making these mistakes, but they become less and less frequent, you know, because we're watching him develop. And it really is a journey of, of faith. It's a journey of learning to trust God more than we trust others and more than we trust ourselves. You know, because sometimes we make a decision and we're just like, I feel like I know what's best for my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to choose this. And especially if it's contrary to what God has been teaching or saying, you're just like, it comes to that spot where you're like, wait, who knows better? Yeah. Martin, me, or God? And that is a wrestle of the soul. Oh, it's, it's it is. It's so easy in primary, yeah. you know, we're in primary, you're like, who should he trust, kids? <laughs> and they're like, the Lord, you know? And you're kind of like, oh, but wait until you actually come face to face with... with Struggle Me, in the dark. Martin or God. Yep. Who knows best? It's so interesting too, and I love this, and it's it's good to talk about it right now. I love that God is not afraid to show us Joseph's weakness. I love that he's And like, Joseph's right, not afraid to print it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, and like, right at the very beginning that we God lets us know right in chapter section three, besides Joseph Smith history, but right in section three. I am working with a man who makes big mistakes, everybody. You you need to know that in section three. And I think partly so that we realize God works with prophets who make mistakes. Moses did, Peter did, Paul did, right? That's the history of God. That's what he does. He's in the business of exalting people. There is not a moment in mortality where I think he's like, oh, done you're done it's, yeah. it's gonna be a constant work in process and we are gonna watch that with joseph and anyone who tells you otherwise doesn't understand the purpose of god 
Because God's purpose is to actually work with people who make mistakes. That's his purpose. And that's the purpose of mortality. And if we can learn to be patient with those who are, um, we, we publicly see God working with, I think it allows us to be more patient with ourselves. Yeah, I, I think that's so powerful. And really, the story of the restoration when it's all over, like the hero spot is left empty, right? Because like everybody made all these mistakes. Yes. Like, like who's the hero of the restoration? What leaves that spot open for God to it's be the Jesus. hero of this story? You know, <laughs> yes. it's like he's the hero of the story. And it's so interesting because we learn a really important lesson about making mistakes in section three. It's one of my most favorite lessons. And it comes right off the heels of section two. What happens is in verse seven, he tells them, this was your problem. This is, this is what you should, should not have done, have done or yeah. should have done. And then it's interesting because we all know what Joseph's mistake was, right? We all do. He lost 116 pages and we can list all of Joseph's mistakes. We can, if we want to. In fact, there are those who will do that for you. They'll list you every mistake Joseph made. And when they hear the name Joseph Smith, what they see is mistakes. And I'm sure Joseph did too sometimes. Like with, when Joseph thought of who he was in that moment, it was the mistake. It was the Joseph who lost the 116 pages. And what is super interesting is that's not who God saw. And remember last week when Joseph said, these are my foibles and these are my weaknesses and these are my transgressions and these are the things I've gone, I've done. And God says, I see Joseph and I have a work for you. And it's awesome because in section three, that same thing happens again. He, he tells Joseph, he sees the mistake. He recognizes a mistake was made. But then he says this, Behold, thou art Joseph, and thou was chosen to do the work of the Lord. But because of transgression, if thou art not aware of, of that mistake, that you can mista make mistakes, that you have weakness, that you will fall. But then I love this in verse 10, But remember, God is merciful Therefore, repent of that which thou hast done, which is contrary to the commandment which I have, which I gave you. And then I love this part. And thou art still chosen and art again called to the work. And I love that he defines what went wrong. But then the next step is he reminds Joseph who he is. And as a parent, don't you think that is so awesome to think of course he sees the mistake and he points out what went wrong. But in that moment, he also reminds Joseph who he is and what his potential is and what his capacity is. And I think is. that's that's how you can know if some feelings are coming from the Lord, right? I think the adversary or even our own like um, inadequacies will just will speak to us and they will say, I can't believe you did that. Uh, you, uh, you've ruined everything. But the Lord will come in and he will t remind us who we are. And he'll say, oh, you forgot who you were. Let me remind you who, that, uh, who you are. That wasn't you. That was a mistake. Mm -hmm. um, that's not who you actually are. And you love that the Lord never wants to define us by our mistake. He, he never is going to enter in and be like, oh, I know who he is because the mistake. But he's always going to enter in and call us by name 
and remind us who we are and the great work that he has for us. And there's so many lessons we love right here. Just if you break out those things, thou art Joseph. And he would say the same to you. Thou art whatever your name is and you were chosen to do the work. And remember this, God is merciful. Remember that word mercy means especially active compassion. I just love that. It doesn't matter what the mistake is, whether it's my mistake or your mistake or Joseph Smith's mistake. God is, has especially active compassion. And that doesn't mean it's all forgiven, but that does mean if you'll repent or if you'll turn back to God, he can work that within you. He, he can fix that. He can resolve that. That's his job. He's the redeemer and the savior and the deliverer and the rescuer. And the, he, he knows how to heal all of those mistakes in us. That's why Jesus came. And I love that. He's like, just, just turn back to me because you are still chosen and you are again called to the work. And how many times was Joseph again called to the work? Mm -hmm. Don't you wonder how many yeah. times in his life that happened? And it, it, the story of Joseph just reminds us, this is a progression. This is a work that is increasing every day. Sometimes I say to myself, every day better. Mm. That's it. Just when I wake up in the morning, I just think to myself, okay, every day better. If I can just be a little bit better than I was yesterday, then I'm, I'm on the covenant path. I'm on that path to exaltation and how important that becomes. Yeah. And like a perfect parent, he just explains to Joseph, now look, there are, here's where you went wrong. And there are, what was that line you were going to read? In oh, there? You forgot that we sticker. love I think on, that's um, on our, those sticker packages, there's just this one line that you want to stick right there by verse nine. And it says this, he defines where you went wrong and then reminds you who you are. And we love that. Right. The thought of that. Yeah. Now that's who he is and that's who God is. But then he explains to him, you will have your privileges, um, kind of lost for a little bit. And he gives Joseph a little bit of time without them. He's like, you're still called. You're still chosen, but God saw a need for him to have those privileges kind of set aside for a couple of months for learning, for growing, whatever God saw the purpose for that. And he explains that to him, but then follows it up with verse 16 and says, Never the, nevertheless, my work shall go forth. And that's really interesting. Let's just think about this for a minute because we see that happen in Joseph's life and, in, and we can see the wisdom of it happening, right? There were things Joseph needed to get right with the Lord in order to continue progressing. And that's still true today. Sometimes we talk about someone being disfellowshipped or someone being excommunicated. And really what it is, is it's just a relieving of that privilege for a time while you work things out or get things right again so that you can continue to increase and progress. And in this story, you see a patient God saying to Joseph, take your time to, to let that turning again yeah. take place in your heart. And then as soon as you're ready, we're going to pick this back up again. And don't you sometimes wish we realized that as you go through those processes of times, even in our lives and in our day, when the Lord just says, you know what, let's just take a 
we're going to take a little break from the privileges for a minute while you get things right yeah, righted so that you can handle those privileges properly you know if some if, if privileges were taken away from joseph he didn't go lower than where god right. didn't push him lower than where he was before right yeah he's just kind of now on par with everybody else mm-hmm. right and one day those privileges can be returned in order for you to do the work in a unique way i love the definition of worthy means um fit for a cause or fit for a purpose. It's not defined with how God feels about Joseph. Or it's your still, self-worth. Yeah, it's yeah, those it's it's unfortunate those have such so many same letters. Yes. You know, because it can get confusing, but he's just like, "Oh, as of right now, you are not fit for the work of translation. You're still called, you're still chosen, you're still mine. I still speak to you. I still love you. I I'm you still, still going to tutor you and mentor you. you and love you. We just we you're just not fit right now to do the work of translation right but you but you are you'll never be lost from my love and presence and grace and you know and and all of those things and and all of those gifts that are meant to help us increase and progress and i love that he's just like okay try again try again yeah try again in this line where he says nevertheless my work shall go forth i think it's so important for him to say to joseph and, and to all of us you cannot frustrate my work mm. because you are my work. Yes. So you can't ruin it because really my work is you. I'm working with you yeah. through your mistakes, through all of this. We'll come back to 16 in just a second because it's it's neat when it talks about what um, the book he's going to work on, what it will actually teach. But um, we're going to go into um, section four. Oh, let's point out this box right here that's on the study guide sheet. It's not nearly big enough, but just to kind of prompt your journaling here to think about what does this whole episode teach you about the character of Christ? And we want you to be watching that all through all these stories. So we just watched a Joseph story, right? And then we're going to look at Joseph's dad for a minute, and then we're going to go back to Martin. So you're going to watch this process of exaltation, this process of becoming and we see it in Joseph, right? And what we learn from Joseph is that the Lord does not see the mistake. He sees the man and he knows the work that he has in store for you. And he'll tell you when you've made a mistake, but what he's going to see in you is the potential of what is at the end of that covenant path, that exaltation. Now, it's going to be fun because we're going to watch another man go through that process of becoming through the Lord, through turning his heart to the Lord. And as we get into section four. Well, look at the, just look at the dates real quick. July 1828 is when he receives section three. He'll get the plates back in September. So he gets the plates back, but now it's farming season and we've got to start putting our crops in. So not much work happens in October, November, December, January. Then you get to February which is section four. And this is when Joseph Sr. and his brother and Joseph's brother um, are kind of concerned. You know, he went through a whole kind of episode ordeal, the baby, mm-hmm. the pages, the message from Moroni, they're newlyweds. And so he's like, I got to go down and, and see him. And you love this. Remember we talked about in every section, there will be a question that prompts that section. And Joseph's dad has three dreams that are so interesting before this revelation comes. In the first dream, 
he he remembers when he wakes up that he just had grown so tired from walking and he was searching for something. He just kept walking and walking and he never found the thing he was searching for. The second dream, he was locked out of a building and he wanted desperately to know, he knew there was something good inside the building. And right before he wakes up, the door opens, but he never gets to see what's in the building. And the third dream, he's with a peddler who promises to tell him the one thing he lacks, but he wakes up before the man can tell him the one thing that he lacks. So you love that all of these three things are building before this revelation comes. And what he starts realizing is there's something missing in my life, but I don't know how to find it. And so he goes to the Lord with this desire to find that thing that's missing. And it's interesting because when you talk to people, even nowadays, people will talk about, I just feel like something's missing. I, I feel like I need to figure out something that's in your soul, that what is that thing? People talk a lot about being authentic to what they feel like they need. And it's almost like he knew something was missing. And I love that he goes to Joseph to figure out what is that thing yeah. that is missing in my life. Yeah. And, and really Joseph to the Lord, right? He's just like, will you ask, what, what, what can I do? What am I missing? How can I, how can I help? And, and as you look at him and, and going down there to see Joseph and realizing Joseph is in the midst of trying to pull this all together. And I love that, that father going down and saying to him, okay, how can I help? Yeah. You know? And I think it's something that's kind of neat where, do you remember when Nephi says to his dad, like, will you go ask the Lord? And that's right after he'd kind of had a little tiff yes. with the Lord. Yeah. And it's kind of neat that jo reverse Joseph Sr. is going to Joseph and he's like almost reminding him like, hey, will you go ask the Lord because he still speaks to you and he still directs the work yes. through you and, so and, and go do that. And how awesome those first words, behold, a marvelous work is about to come forth to a man who feels has, has had these dreams. Who's like, Where, what is it? What mm -hmm. is it supposed to be so good? And he says, and it's this, that's the service of God. It's serving him with all of your heart, might, mind, and strength. That's what your heart is yearning for. And then he tells him this. There's two things he teaches him. Verse three, how to be called to the work. And it's very simple. He says, if you have desires to serve God, you are called. That is the qualifications for being called to the work. That's the requirement we should say for being called to the work is, I want to, I want to be involved. I want to help somehow. And it's like, okay, then you are called. Um, and then he teaches him in the next verses, but this is how you qualify for that work, right? Um, but with that awesome verse four, why did I skip the best one that yeah. everyone loves so much, right? To a lifelong farmer, Jesus says to Joseph Sr., the field is white, all ready to harvest. Or in other words, there is work to do, right? There is a lot of it. The people are ready to be harvested. And he says, this is what you will need. It started in five, faith, hope, charity, love. And then this one that Joseph learned, Joseph Jr., with an eye single to the glory of God. That's what qualify you for the work. So anyone can be called if they want to be a part of it. The question and is, do you want to be more effective at it and better at it and more powerful in it? 
powerful in it? Yes, let me teach you how to do that. And right? let's talk for a minute about that, that one line, your eyes single to God, because it's gonna go back to what we're, what we've been talking about, and it's gonna go forward also. But remember when God said to Joseph and Martin, your opinion of others needs to be less than your opinion of God, or if your eye was single to God, if that conversation Joseph and Martin had was how shall I appear before God, that's part of what is a qualifier for you. It's just asking that question and thinking, okay, what what is my stature before God? What is my place before God? What does God think about what I am about to do? What if that becomes the guiding principle of your life? Yeah. And it's interesting here, this distinction, I think, between the two. Like, do you want to? Yes, then you are called. Now, how do I qualify, you know, to be even more effective? Um, I just think it's really important that, like, you would look at someone and... and, and or someone might look at themselves and, and think like, oh, I'm I'm not good enough to be a part of this work. And it's just like, oh, do you want to be a part of it? Yes. Oh, then you're called to it. And then they might think to themselves, well, how do I do better at it? How do I how mm-hmm. do I become more effective in this? How do I bring more souls into Christ? And the Lord answers, and he's just like, oh, well, become more like me. This is the work of God. And so those who are more like God are gonna be more empowered to be able to do it more effectively. Yep, and that's what you love about this list um, right here, which is is part of being partakers of the divine nature. That's where it comes from. But he gives you this list of characteristics that are just the Father's characteristics, right? That you're going to have faith and virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and brotherly kindness, godliness, charity, humility, diligence. That's how you do this work. Yeah. That's what this work looks like. And if you have none of those, you are not less valuable or less loved in the eyes of God. But the more of them you have, the more effective you could be in this work. I think that's an important mm-hmm. distinction. God so doesn't good. love those who are more faithful or love those who are more patient, more than the impatient. He's. I love all my children, right? And all of them can be involved in the work if they want to. But you can be more effective in that work if that's what you want by increasing in all of these attributes. And it's so interesting to look at them and think, okay, which one could I be better at right now? And at different times in your life, even on the same day, in different hours of that same day, there might be one that you're like, I could actually be better at this one right now. And we need to remember the expectation is not perfect in that thing, right? Because which who of us is perfect in any of those things and if that's our if that's our goal we're going to be frustrated and exhausted of the work of that all the time but i love when i look at this list to think when i enter into a situation and i know i need more patience in that situation to say to the lord in just a quick prayer lord i can be patient to hear and through your grace and, and you coming in and transforming me to be better at patience right now, I could probably be patient to here at this level and realizing he's not telling us to do these things by ourselves. We can invite him into that equation. His grace can enable us to be better at each of these things. And if we just take the time to just stop what we're doing, 
and pray and ask for an increase of the Spirit to be with us in that moment as a messenger of that grace. He can increase our capacity for all of these things and every day better. Which right? is exactly what he says the very last verse. After listing those, he then says, Ask and you shall receive. Knock and it shall be open unto you. I think in reference to those virtues that he just you know that he just listed there so that's just such a sweet little moment in 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 that you know winter time february um all the crops have been planted no work is moving forward on on any of this yet and joseph's dad and his brother come to visit him and and kind of see and learn that great lesson now if you go to section five it's one month later this is March of 1829. Uh, spoiler alert to next time. Oliver's going to show up in April of 1829. So you've got Joseph Sr. in February. Martin's going to come back in March of 1829. And spoiler, Oliver's going to show up the next month later with Joseph still wondering, like, what are we, we going to do? How are we going to even do this? Now, Martin comes back and he has not seen Joseph since the loss of the pages. So it's been eight months. I and let's go back out. to the Martin in chapter three before we go to the, the Martin in section five. Okay. So it's so fun because when Martin is described in section three, this is how the Lord describes him. I'm going to read in verse 12 and 13. You delivered up that which God had given me sight and power to translate. Thou deliverest up that which was sacred into the hands of a wicked man. Mm-hmm. That's how God wants to define Martin, right? He, he says to him, this is a wicked man. And he says this, who said it not the counsels of God and broke the most sacred promises which were made before God and has depended upon his own judgment and boasted of his own wisdom. Okay, that's Martin. That yeah. is who he is. The last time we see Martin, that is who we see. And Martin is this wicked man. And then we're going to go to section five. Section five. Now, the question Martin comes with after eight months of not talking is, I want a a further witness that this is the work. So remember, you have the pages, and the pages actually satisfied his wife and their neighbors and stuff like that for a bit. But now his wife is threatening a lawsuit against Martin and against Joseph, and, and he's just kind of been... She's about to end their marriage. It's like gotten worse. Like Lucy's gone gone kind of bad. And she's kind of turning the town of Palmyra against the Smith family. Uh, Lucy Smith said of Lucy Harris, she rides around on her dark horse, like <laughs> r- riling up all the trouble against us. And and that's what Martin's dealing with. Like, night, like you might see Lucy in the store and be like, oh, that woman is just a, a nuisance. But then Martin's got to live with that woman. Um, and so he's like, I need a witness. And he comes back and asks, can I actually see the plates? Um, which lets you know during that whole like, time he was a scribe, he never saw him. And he's just like, I want to see him. Can you ask the Lord if I can? And so I, he does. And I love this. Just when you think about how the Lord sees Martin. Again, we're going to look at what does the Lord see in you. And remember the last time he said to him, he's talking to Joseph. And he said, remember when you gave that which was sacred into the hands of a wicked man? And he's talking about this wicked man. And then in section 5, verse 23, you love that this is how he enters in. And now again, I speak unto you, my servant Joseph, concerning 
And you could put in there the wicked man, right? That's what God called him the last time he talked about him. But it's so interesting that in section five, he says this, now I speak unto you, my servant Joseph, concerning the man that desires the witness. And you love that a wicked man can turn to a witness just that fast in God's right. eyes. It just shows you so much about this. Remember, God is merciful because what does God, God sees the mistake, right? God sees the wicked in the man, but he also sees the witness in the man as well. And that's so awesome. Yeah. And, and then and the answer in section five here, as you read through it, you're going to see the Lord teach him like, well, Martin, it's actually kind of inspired that you wanted to be a witness because I actually have a plan for there to be witnesses of this book. And if you so desire to be one, um, you can be. And we'll talk about kind of that plan when we get into section 17 and more of the witnesses when we get there. But we like that he teaches Martin now, like, let me teach you how to be a witness, um, not only to this book, but to the message of this book and as a witness of who I am. And starting in verse 24, he starts to teach him. Let me teach you how to be a witness. He says, um, you have to humble yourself before me. And Emily said something before we started, and I thought it was so powerful, just that idea of like humble the self, right? You've got like, he's been looking to his wife. He's been kind of looking to his own desires, his own, what he wants to do. And, and right now the Lord is teaching him. The first thing is, is you've got to humble that self part of you. The idea of like, this is what I want to be. This is what I want to do. And this is why I want it to happen. And, and no one can tell me how I should do this or why I should do this. Because I'm going to figure out for myself what I should do. And you just love that the Lord's like, okay, first of all, you've got to humble the self. That's what you have to do first. Right. And in, if I humble the self, what should I replace it with? He says, well, bow down before me and humble that self in mighty prayer and in faith or trust or action in sincerity of your heart. And then I will grant unto you a view. Um, there's more if you go down to 28. I mean, you'll find other stuff as you go in here. And he says, humble that self. Do you see that <laughs> keep coming up again and again and again? Acknowledge unto me the things that are wrong and, and covenant and promise to keep my commandments. Like that's an act of learning to trust me instead of you or others and exercise faith in me. And then I will show you of these things. And you love that when he's talking about, and what I'm going to show you is so marvelous. Like the view that I'm about to give you, the, the things that could happen if you will humble the self and just let me come in and work in you. It's almost like you can't even imagine hmm. what could happen if, if you let me do that. Or you can do it yourself, right? You, you can, but if you could, Watch what I could do. Right. And then what's really neat is um, you'll see in the study guide, se verse, I mean, section 17, 2, 3, and 5, he says, and then one of the requirements to be a witness is that you will actually share that mm. witness. And I love thinking like what you were just saying, not just a witness of I saw the plates, but a witness of who I've been to you. Like once you humble that self, 
and let me work with you. Will you please be a witness of what I molded you into? It's so like, interesting because Grace and I have been having so many conversations lately about um, what's the difference between being authentic to self and authentic to God? And what does that look like? And it's so interesting because there really is a balance that you start trying to find. And we're going to watch people walk through that balance, right? As God is working with them. And for some, it just comes so fast. Joseph Smith Sr. He feels something is missing. He he goes for that walk, right? We were reading that, not all who wander are lost. And, and he does that wandering and it leads him to section four. And he has that desire and he dives in and he wants to learn those that character of the father and that's the path he walks and we're gonna watch Martin and he's gonna wander also he's gonna wander he we see him wander here and that's gonna happen again but God doesn't lose sight of Martin in his wandering and that humbling of self for Martin takes a long time to figure out and that's okay in yeah. God's eyes. He's he's like, I can still work with that. Well, and that's almost the, it's almost harder than this idea of like, oh, I have others before me. I mean, I put others before God. I think sometimes it's harder when we try to battle with like, I've put myself before God, you know, and that's almost that yeah. struggle and wandering, you know? Yeah, because that how shall I appear before becomes so, so much a part of our language we almost forget about God because our self is regulated by how we appear in so many different places. Right, right. And and God's just teaching him like, oh, if you'll just push those away, there will be room for me, you know? Or bring me in incrementally, yes. you know, into your life and just let me start working with you. And, and, and you just watch that with Martin. I mean, it's funny, like he keeps coming back and... And we're going to see that in, in section 17 where he, like he's not even going to be a part of the first witnesses of him because he's got to like humble himself. And then you just keep seeing that. Um, he'll end up walking away. Yep. And and at the end, we'll end with this story. But should you go here oh, before yeah, we yeah. get to the end of Martin? One of the things that we want to try and do this year is when we when we bring up the story of someone, we're gonna try and walk you through that whole story when we meet them at the beginning so you can remember because sometimes we forget who was there at the beginning, who was there at the end, what happened in the in-between. So we, we wanna tell you Martin's whole story, but this is so good before we get to that point. Yeah, and I just, you got on your box here these two sections of verses and the first one, let's just do that first one because I think you can go look up the second one, but the first one takes us back to chapter three, section three, excuse me, verse 16. Where he says, nevertheless, my work shall go forth because I want enough. And the work that's going to go forth right now in particular is the bringing forth of the Book of Mormon. Because that's a book that will bring the knowledge of the Savior into the world uh, through the testimony of the Jews and also the testimony of the Nephites and the Jacobites and Josephites. This testimony, it says um, in verse 18, is going to fill the world. But look at 19. It says, for this very purpose were these plates preserved. Like, let's not lose track of what's happening here is I want the knowledge of a savior to spread through the world. And it contains in these records, this promise that the promises of the Lord will be fulfilled that he made to his people, that the Lamanites who dwindled in unbelief, that they may believe the gospel 
and rely upon the merits of Jesus Christ. The, I want you to be a witness of the message of this book, which is that you can find strength and help and salvation by relying on the merits of Jesus Christ. And then this line, this is in verse 20, and be glorified through faith in his name, through trusting in him, find that glory you've been looking for, and that through repentance they might be saved. And what a message for mm. all of them to be a witness of, right? That it was through our mistakes and yep. repentance that salvation came. That's the message of the Book of Mormon, and it's the message of Joseph and Martin and Joseph, because it's, it's the work of God, who's the same God working with all of them. And you love that it's just teaching that progression, right? That's what the Book of Mormon wants to say. It wants to say, you're going to come to know the Savior. You're going to know the promises. Remember, we talked about the promises last week, that he's going to, um, he's going to give you these promises. He's going to provide for you. He's going to prevail in your life. That's going to happen. You're going to learn to believe in the gospel and, or the good news that this yeah. is even possible for someone like me yep and you're gonna um live that covenant path right that's your goal is the the covenant path that comes through the power of the priesthood or the order of the son of god but we know you can't do it perfectly on your own and so there will be the merits of the son of god that come the merits of christ and you're going to have this process of constantly turning again and turning again. How many times has that happened in the Book of Mormon? And again, and again, until finally you're um, saved, right? That's that you reach that salvation. And all of that is this process of becoming. Yeah. And that's what... And I love that word glorified. It's almost like a synonym to becoming, right? Yeah. Like you will be glorified. Like who Martin and Joseph become through all of this process is going to be beautiful. Yes. The process and and end result. Both of them are beautiful. Yes. Right? And you needed all of them. And I should have used the word instead of at the end you'll be saved because we know we're all saved, but you'll be exalted, right? You're going to reach that exaltation. Fullness, yeah. yeah, that fullness, all that the Father has. That's what's going to happen. And we're going to watch that happen all the way through Scripture. There's nobody who doesn't walk that journey that the Book mm. of Mormon talks about, right? Even the Lord's own prophet is going to learn that process of becoming and that turning again and that repenting and that severing through weakness and learning to have to um, rely on the merits of Christ and that exalting process. Nobody's exempt from that process which should give us all a lot of courage. And and not only is no one exempt from it, but like you're invited into it. Yes. It's interesting that it's just like, you can't avoid this, but it's really like the Lord saying like, come yep. be a part of this yes. because we will be so close through the whole thing that that will be one of the greatest gifts of the process. And when we look back at mortality, those are the memories I think we will hold on to. I love as you think about Martin and watching his full journey and and we want to read what the end of that journey looks like because he starts out right here in the very beginning in the get-go with joseph like he jumps in at the beginning of the book of mormon and what he fights for at the beginning is what that book could do right he believes in the power of what that book can do for people that's what brought him in that was his desire that's the help he wanted to give 
and then there's several rough patches, right? He goes from wicked man to witness. He just comes and goes, and there is a point in when all that trouble starts happening in 1837 and continues to compound where Martin chooses to estrange himself from the church, and he is estranged for the next 32 years. And um, But he did, I love that he kind of watched over the Kirtland Temple, that he, he still felt that like call to caretake over the Lord's work. And then at age 86, we just put a little thing down at the bottom yeah, of your 86. journal because there are some of these things that you just love. At the age of 86, he requested that Brigham Young be told of his impoverished circumstances and that he wanted to visit Salt Lake and because he did not have a lot of money at the end. And this is what he says to him, and I love this so much. To, to the messenger, he says this, tell him I should like to visit Utah and my family and children. I would be glad to accept help from the church because remember, he doesn't have enough money to get there on his own. This is your favorite part. But I want no personal favor. Wait, he says, tell him that if he sends money for me to come there, he must send enough for the round trip because I do not want to remain in Utah. Do you just love that he's like, keeps his boundaries set up. Um, I, I want to just come see, but I'm not committing to anything. This is my boundary. Give me enough money and enough to get back. And there is a lesson here that is so awesome because when Brigham Young receives that message, imagine all the things Brigham Young could have done with that. He could have been like, uh, we don't need Martin Harris. You know, we've, we've done this before with Martin. But I love that this is what he says. I want to say this. I was never this more... This is Brigham Young. This is talking. Brigham Young talking about Martin Harris. I want to say this. I was never more gratified over any message in my life. Send for him. Yay. Even if it were to take the very last dollar of my own. And I just love that welcome in. I think that's how the Lord would be for every single person, no matter where they wander or how they wander or where they wander. If there's ever that moment that is like, I actually just want to come see, even if the request is like, I just want to come look, but I'm not staying that I love that. He's like, I okay. would give every last penny, whatever the cost is for you to come here. So Martin goes to the West, and when he goes through Iowa to get there, the saints give him a suit of clothes. I love that too, that like that welcoming in was such a welcoming in. And it makes me think, I hope I'm good like that. Mm -hmm. I hope when people come and they just, they just want to see, I hope I'm like, oh, come in. There is a place for you here. Even if you're just going to stay for a second, let me give you the best suit. Let me give you the best chair. Let me give you the best of what we have to offer here. He ends up being rebaptized on September 17th, 1870 in the presence of five apostles. And you love that in, um, in August, 1870, the Desert News reported, he is remarkably vigorous for one of his years, his memory being very good and his sight. And then they wrote this at the bottom. We are glad to see Martin Harris once more in the midst of the saints. And I just love the thought that welcoming in is so good. But this is my favorite line. When he comes and he goes and he visits different congregations in Utah and he sees the temple and he sees the tabernacle and he sees how Salt Lake was set up. 
His comment is this, who would have thought that the Book of Mormon would have done all of this? And remember that he was, at the very beginning, it was the Book of Mormon that drew him in and it was what the Book of Mormon could do that was what brought him in. And then for him at 86 years of age to look out and think, that book that I mortgaged my home for, that that I gave the whole beginning years of my life for, like when God says you can't frustrate this work, no matter what your wandering looks like, you can't frustrate this work. And the fact that even though he missed out on all of the process of that, as soon as one foot was back in, he was part of all of it, right? He was part of all of that great work. He died in 1875, so five years after that. And I love this. He was buried with his Book of Mormon in his right hand and the Doctrine and Covenants in his left. Hmm. Isn't that awesome? So sweet. Yeah, it's so good. It's like it worked. When the Lord said back in section three, a knowledge be, through this book in the Bible, both of them together, a knowledge of the Savior and a knowledge of his um, mercy is going to fill the earth. And and it did. And Martin saw that it worked. It's like, look, it's impacted. The people gave me the suit. It's impacted Brigham. It's impacting me. It's like, look at everything that that message of Jesus has done. You know, it's it's working. Yeah, I love that the word for this week is witness. And we hope you remember Martin's story, that you can go from wicked man to witness, that we might all wander in different ways. And maybe you're the person who's wandering and you're trying to figure things out and you're going to remember that the Lord's going to meet you in that place. And he's going to see past where you are because what he's going to look for is what you can be. And you're going to experience his especially active compassion in that moment and maybe we're also um, on the side of watching people who are thinking maybe i'll just take one step back in and i hope we will be the witness in that moment that is giving the best suit and the best seat and the best welcome that we can give in that moment even if people just come for a minute and leave. Martin came and went so many times, but I love that at the very end, what he wanted to hold on to was that Book of Mormon, which testified of that covenant path and that promise of exaltation and the fact that it's okay to take second chances. Yeah, You know, that it's okay to just take the next right step, whatever that looks like for you, that God is as patient with a Martin as he was too with working with the desire of Joseph Smith Sr. Yeah. And, and I, and we just hope that you could be a witness of what Jesus is like, you know, that as you look at that section for those words again, that you would say like, Oh, I met a Jesus who um, was patient, who had brotherly kindness, who had charity, who had diligence, who didn't give up on me, that that's the Jesus I met. And I met some of his saints also, those who reflected that same heart that he had. Yeah. Yep. It's a good one. All right, y'all. See you next week. See you next week. Oliver. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. 
Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.